Rebecca, uh, kudos because she is preaching or speaking at uh, their church, their church plant, so that he can be here on Mother's Day. So, a uh, big thank you to Rebecca from the village. Uh, ben and Rebecca Malman are crazy about their kids, Charlotte and Gideon. Um, in 2010, their family was sent out from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, to start a new church in Baltimore. Um, and he says, uh, you could say that leading people who feel far from God into a life-giving relationship with Jesus is our passion. And uh, you can see why he likes the village, because that certainly is our passion as well. So join me in welcoming Pastor Ben Mulman. Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. Uh, so uh, it must have not been too bad in first service. I see some repeat offenders. Um, Pastor Dan has been a great friend to us. Uh, my wife and I, we actually live just a few blocks from here. Um, our church was in the Rotunda Cinemas for five years. Now we're down on the, um, the avenue. Uh, we, uh, for one month a year, we pray for you as a church. Um, and we are so grateful to have been partners with the Toy uh, Drive Affordable Christmas Market, sorry, uh, in December. And, um, various ways of reaching and serving this neighborhood for Jesus. And so I just feel like we're part of the family uh, together. And um, thank you for uh, welcoming me here this morning. Uh, Let's pray. Um, You know, my wife and I, having uh, experienced uh, miscarriage before, understand that for some people it's just a miracle that you're here. Um, and that Mother's Day can be uh, difficult for a variety of reasons. So let's just, as we uh, turn to the Word today and ask God for help, let's just pray um, and ask for um, His healing presence in this room as well. Amen? Lord, I thank you so very much that you are with us, that you love us, that you care for us, that you don't leave us on our own. Um, Lord, and that everywhere that you are, there is healing. And so right now we come before you and acknowledge our need for you, and we ask that you would please uh, lead us, please open our spiritual ears to hear what your word has to say today, and help us to not only be hearers of the word, but doers. Um, Lord, help us to receive your love and be aware of your presence. Help us to receive whatever healing uh, we may need today. I thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 5 together this morning. Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to read uh, verses 3 through 9 uh, to get us started. And I'm actually going to read a couple different um, versions of these verses so that we can start by uh, just resting in the words uh, of Jesus this morning. Does that sound good? Okay, so Matthew chapter 5. I see that some of you haven't memorized the whole Bible. You brought one with you. That's good. Good. Okay, a couple people are awake. Glad. I'm caffeinated. Are you? Okay, um, so <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5. Uh, let's set the scene just a little bit. I love Jesus. I'm so glad that God sent his son Jesus. I'm so glad that Jesus decided to come. Uh, this is uh, the start of where Jesus starts to actually speak, um, and people are leaning in. This is the, the first recorded real teaching of Jesus. Uh, Matthew 4 records that everywhere he went, he started with this message of repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. Um, in other words, there is a fresh start. There is new life available to you from God. 
And I'm thankful for that message. But then he starts with this teaching. And so people were kind of leaning in. Uh, At this point, Jesus was not known as a teacher. And they wanted to hear what he had to say. So that's, that's where we are at this point. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, some of us are aware that English is a pretty limited language. Greek is quite a bit more expressive. And so I want to also read from the New Living uh, translation of these verses just to kind of help us settle into Jesus' words. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. I also want to read to you just a a paraphrase for moms that my mother wrote Glenda Malman, the one of her books that's available on Amazon. Got just kind of read her paraphrase of this to you. Blessed is the mother whose children freely laugh, play and pray, for hers is the kingdom of heaven on earth. Blessed is the mother who cries when she needs to, but does not lack faith, for she will be comforted. Blessed is the mother who has a gentle disposition in the midst of the fluctuating emotions of her children, for she will inherit their hearts. Blessed is the mother who hungers for a closer walk with God, for she will be nourished and sustained. Blessed is the mother who is merciful in moments of contradiction, for she will receive mercy in the days that lie ahead. Blessed is the mother who is pure in heart and in spirit, for she will see God and the future in the eyes of her children. Blessed is the mother who is a peacemaker in times of storm, for she will be called trustworthy and true. Um, I want to focus on the ninth verse, Jesus' phrase, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So I just want to, I want to focus right there. And um, I want to point out one of the things that I like about Jesus. One of the things that I like about Jesus is, Of course, how he lived, tempted in every way that we were, and yet without sin, uh, 100% human, 100% God. But also, when he does open his mouth and he does teach, he doesn't start with a negative focus. I mean, sure, Matthew 4, we see, you know, he says, repent, hey, turn around. But in this teaching, he starts with a positive focus, almost a satisfied customer perspective. He starts with talking about the benefits, the benefits of serving God. And I wish I were a better preacher like Pastor Dan. But I like this focus on the benefits, the positive. It's so easy to focus on the negative. Maybe that's just me. 
kind of, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. It was always rainy and cloudy like yesterday. My neighbors in Hamden accused me of bringing it with me. Blessed, happy. Now, what is this blessed word that Jesus uses? Let's just unpack that because Jesus spoke in the street Greek. This, is, this word means happy. Jesus, you, now you can thank me for that or forgive me for that later. Uh, Jesus uses this happy word. These people are happy. I like an old Visa commercial from, with Morgan Freeman. Happiness. Happiness. Jesus says, happy are these people. All y'all uses this plural, all y'all. And he does use the kind of generic masculine of the sons of God. But he uses kind of an all y'all phrase of, you will be called the children of God. You will be called. And and, and in that he is saying, people will say, you're like God. In In that language, in his vocabulary, in his grammar, what he is saying is that, People will look at you and say, you are like God, and you are like God in a way that denotes you have a personal relationship with him. You are following him. You, you, you walk like him. You talk like him. You sound like you are one who has been in the presence of. So peacemakers, people that are peacemakers, they're blessed, they're happy, and somebody else is going to say about them, they have a close personal relationship with God. Now, I've been called a lot of things. A lot of things that were not too nice. I you have multiple jobs working my way through college. I worked with longshoremen. I've been given all kind of nicknames. But if you wanted to compliment me to say that I'm a son of God, a child of God, because of some kind of positive behavior that you've seen in my life, that's a heavy compliment. That would mean something to me. Are you with me? And that's what Jesus says. And, and To go back to this word blessed, he's saying these people are happy, these people, but also what he's saying in in his language, in his word choice, is that people will say that they have benefited from God's relationship with them. People will say they have benefits, they are blessed, they are good, they are living in peace in the face of contradictory circumstances, in the face of a broken world and a life that's not easy. Yeah, Greek is more expressive than English. Jesus was saying these things. These people are blessed. Now what's also interesting to me is that in his peacemaker word choice, he's, not, he's specifically not using the words that are generic that would be applicable to business or government or nations uh, ceasing uh, warfare. He, he's using specific word choice to refer to bringing back together of broken relationships. Bringing forgiveness and resolve and a healing to where there's interpersonal conflict. Now I know no one in this room has ever had interpersonal conflict. No one. Oh, I see some breathing going on. I'm glad that I'm not the only human in this world. <laughs> right? right? Everyone, in everyone's life, a little rain must fall. Right? Everyone's going to have some personal conflict. You are human. You interact with other humans. Um, and so there's going to be some cases where you rub somebody the wrong way. But Jesus is saying, blessed, happy are the ones who make peace. The ones who bring healing. The one who bring forgiveness. And 
Jesus' focus is not on, hey, brace yourself, the conflict is coming. Jesus is not saying, follow me and there will be no conflict. Right? Or did I not read far enough? Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you're not going to hurt somebody else and you're not going to be hurt by someone else. If we had today some of my um, childhood friends, they would tell you that my life story is one of forgiveness. Starting out when I was in elementary school, much has been done against me by church people. Much has been done to me. Much has been said about me. Much has... Forgiveness is a massive part of my life story. And reconciliation of relationships. Now, we live in Hamden, and right now the sewer line for our house is crushed. Don't worry, I'm not going to get graphic. That's not pretty. But it is what happens when there isn't forgiveness at work in your life. There's actually medical research that shows that when you don't have forgiveness functioning, when you have emotional stress due to relational conflict, you will not live as long. There's medical research that goes to show the factors in your physical health, your mental and emotional health, and how it affects your physical health. If Jesus knew that following God in this way would be better for us in every way. He's talking about the benefits of when we choose to seek peace where there is no peace. See, the peacemaker is one who is working toward peace where it does not exist. Are you tracking with me? Are you following? This is good for you. There is a benefit in your life when this occurs. Now, I know it's, it's easy to focus on the problems, and some of us are probably already having some negative emotions about that, so I just want to lighten the mood a little bit with the story. Is that okay? All right. I have the picture on the slide there of Samantha Smith. Samantha Smith. Has a stamp ever been issued with your picture on it? Has an asteroid ever been named after you? Has a great composer dedicated a concert to you? Has a diamond been named after you? A breed of plant been named after you? A bronze statue made of you? Do you have a school named of you? Named after you? Most of us have never had any of these things happen. But a girl named Samantha Smith has had all of these things happen to her. What did she do that was so great? She was a peacemaker. When Samantha was a 10-year-old, she was a lot like you. She had a dog, she enjoyed sports, and she loved to read. She did great with science in school, but like some of us, uh, struggled with math. In 1982, Samantha noticed that much of the news on TV was about the relationship between the U.S. and Russia. She learned that both countries had missiles with capability to destroy millions of people. To Samantha and many others, it seemed as if there was going to be a war. Obviously, this filled her with considerable fear. She read an article in a magazine that had a picture of a new Russian president on the cover. After reading the article, she was puzzled as to just what the real intent of the Russians towards the U.S. was. And so she said to her mom, Hey, Mom, why don't you write to President Andropov 
the president of Russia and ask him if he intends to start a war and, wh- and why he wants to do that. And like any good parent, her mom said, why don't you write it? Samantha hadn't thought of that, but she really did want to know the answer to her question. After all, she believed that God made the whole world for everyone to live in. She didn't believe that people should destroy each other. So she wrote, Dear Mr. Andropov, my name is Samantha Smith. I am 10 years old. Congratulations on your new job. I've been worrying about Russia and the United States getting into a nuclear war. Are you going to vote to have a war or not? If you aren't, please tell me how you're going to help to not have a war. This question you do not have to answer, but I would like to know why you want to conquer the world, or at least my country. God made the world for us to live together in peace and not to fight. Sincerely, Samantha Smith. After that, she and, um, she and her mom sent the letter to Moscow. Then Samantha got to thinking how, pres- how busy a president is in any country and that Mr. Andropov probably wouldn't even have time to write back. Eventually, she had forgotten that she'd even written the letter. That was until the spring of 1983. In April of 1983, Sam was at school when something strange happened. First, she was sent to the principal's office. She didn't know why. All the way there, she tried to think what she might have done. But she couldn't think of anything she'd done wrong. When she arrived, the principal handed her the telephone. It was a reporter who said he had read a copy of her letter that appeared in a Russian newspaper. Before this, Samantha wasn't even sure that her letter had been received by the Russian president. A few days after this, she got a phone call from a Soviet ambassador that said the president had written a letter to her and that it was on its way. The letter came on April 25th. That night, she got off the school bus. Samantha was shocked at what she saw on her family's front lawn. It was covered with reporters and cameramen all asking her what the letter had said. It was then that Sam took time to read the letter in front of all those reporters. It was over two pages long. As she read it, the reporters wrote down the words as fast as they could. The television cameras focused in on Samantha so that all her listeners could hear what the Russian president had said. In his letter, Mr. Andropov noted Samantha's courage and told her that he liked her speaking openly with him. He reminded her that the Americans and the Russians were on the same side in World War II. He told her that neither he nor the people of his country wanted another war. He then told her that because of this, he was going to see what he could do to discontinue further production of nuclear missiles, and he would see what he could do to, about destroying many of the missiles that had already been built. He stated that his country was interested in the things other countries did, are. They grow things. They build things. They like to invest. They love writing books. They love space exploration. And the last thing Mr. Andropov told Samantha was, quote, We want peace for ourselves and for all peoples of the planet and for our children and for you, Samantha, unquote. He then invited her and her parents to come to this country to visit. At the time, there were a lot of tensions between the two countries. But that summer, the Smiths flew to Russia. And there, Samantha was treated like a young ambassador of peace from the United States. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. There's a benefit to bringing about peace. Your life can be changed with a dedication to peace. Now, we can't talk about this without talking about how it's possible, right? How is this possible? It's possible because of Jesus. 
See, it's really easy to think about, be sitting here this morning and be thinking about people that you've had conflict with and thinking, I don't know how to make peace with that person. It doesn't seem possible. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3. We turn to Colossians chapter 3. So on your way of turning to Colossians chapter 3, I know you've been in Colossians lately. I want to refer to Colossians chapter 1 while you're turning to Colossians chapter 3. We'll read verses 12 to 15. The truth of the matter is that we don't have a great hope for making peace in our interpersonal relationships if not for Jesus. And Jesus goes before us in making peace. And in Colossians 1 verses 19 to 22, Paul writes about this peace that Jesus has made for us. And I'm so thankful for Jesus that Jesus needs to loom large in our personal vision, in our understanding, in our reading, in our meditation. We need to spend time to reflect on Jesus. And I know on Mother's Day there may be some people here that you don't know Jesus. You're not sure what you believe about Jesus. I want to invite you in to read Colossians 1, 19-22 and the explanation of the fact that Jesus made a way for us. He is the breaker, the one who makes a way where there seems to be no way, where it seems impossible. Jesus is the one who made it possible for there to be peace between God and us, that we could be forgiven of our sins. And do you notice that when Jesus teaches us to pray, when he gives us that power tool of the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, or in the street Greek for us today in English, Daddy God. He includes, forgive us as we forgive. Oh, well, some of those words you just wish you could cut out of your Bible and ignore and pretend that they're not there, right? But when Jesus teaches us to pray, when Jesus teaches us to forgive, you notice that there's a connection. God, forgive me as I forgive. And when you feel far from God and you come to him at first, you don't understand this. You need to come and just ask for his help, for his forgiveness. But as you grow up in your relationship with Christ, if you've been in this walk of following Jesus for more than a hot minute, you've got to understand how he looks at this. And the way that he looks at it is his forgiveness of you is connected with your forgiveness of others. I've heard many a couple refer to the words of Ephesians chapter 5, an inner couple conflict, but I never once heard them first quote the phrase that is at the beginning, which is submit to each other. Yeah, I Greeked it out. It's both people. Submit to each other out of a constant awareness of Jesus. As you may say, forget, for how is forgiveness possible? I've been too hurt, I've been too damaged. And guess what? It's not possible in your own strength. And God doesn't ask you to forgive in your own strength. There is freedom in the fact that God has asked you to pray, Lord, help me forgive. Give me your love for this person. There's freedom in the fact that God is and wants to do the heavy lifting when it comes to peacemaking and forgiveness in interpersonal relationships. It is God. It is Him. How is this possible? I'm so glad you asked. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 15, you see on the screen, put on then, or as many translations rightly render, clothe yourselves. Clothe yourselves. Put it on. Put it on. Mark Twain said, clothes make the man. Naked people have no effect on society. I like a little Mark Twain in my message. We're in the U.S., right? Put on then, clothe yourselves. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. 
compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. How do we do this? How do we do this peacemaking? Bearing with one another. Some translations say making allowances for each other's faults. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you. There it is again. That connection. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So also you must forgive. And above all these put on love. Which binds everything together. In perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Or in other words... The peace that Jesus gives you may it be the guiding force, the, 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 the principle that drives in your life that peace. To which indeed you were called in one body to live in peace and be thankful. You know, in our church, one of the things that we do is we lead a recovery groups in prisons, in Baltimore City Prison, and County Prison, State and Federal. One of the things that in recovery ministry we talk about is hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. Sometimes when you're in a close, intimate relationship with someone and you're constantly being hurt, we need to pause and say, what's going on? What's going on in them that's causing them to repeatedly hurt me? When I suffered abuse as a child, as a nine-year-old, and in my development, that meant that for years of my life, I couldn't receive the love that some people were giving me, including the love of my parents. And so then I, in turn, hurt other people. I was hurt. There wasn't forgiveness. There wasn't healing. And for years of my life, I hurt other people because I was hurt. Jesus knew there's a benefit to peacemaking. There's a benefit. You'll live longer. You'll live in peace. You'll live in joy. And a part of that is we need to make allowances for each other's faults and choose to forgive. Why? Because Jesus forgave us. Not with, don't offer somebody else just your forgiveness. Forgive them with His forgiveness, with His love, because your love will fail them. Because you're human and you have limits. His love never fails. It never fails. There's a benefit. There's a benefit to peacemaking. We can say, I'm forgiven. Forgive me as I forgive. Every time you encounter conflict in your life, it's an opportunity to show what you really think about God. Because if I have to take revenge, then maybe I don't believe that God is who he said he is. If I can't forgive, maybe somewhere deep down I don't believe that his forgiveness of me is complete. Every time you encounter conflict, it's an opportunity to show what you really believe about God. Is he enough? Is his love unfailing, complete, exhaustive? 
never ending, never failing. I invite you today to experience true spiritual freedom. Let's stop trying to make peace out of our own strength. Let's choose to do it out of His strength with His love. God is this good, blessed, happy are the peacemakers. They will be called the children of God. Why? Why is this so important? Well, John 17, 20, it says, because it's a sign to those who do not yet believe in Jesus. If we can be peacemakers, it's a sign that Jesus is who he said he is. One last thing I'd like to read for you this morning, written by a lady named Diane. Our closest relationships are often the most emotionally painful and challenging to reconcile. My mother was driven by bitterness after my parents divorced when I was very young. Consequently, my brothers and I grew up responding to a woman who was very distant, argumentative, critical, and unsupportive. She was also an alcoholic, which brought another damaging dynamic into our family. Mom made decisions based on a hurting heart, and these decisions were very costly for my brothers and I. It was very difficult to love my mother, and there were very many times when I wanted to give up. When my mom died in April 1996, I received a letter from a close friend who had watched my relationship with my mom for many years. Here's an excerpt from that letter. Diane, I've never met anyone who made the effort in a mother-daughter relationship like you did. And against such odds, she hurt you deeply and for a long time. Yet you never gave up hope. You never left her alone. You kept pursuing her and loving her, and you finally won over her resistance. What a testimony to your deep love and commitment. I'm sure you feel sad that things weren't different with your mom while you were growing up, but there is such comfort and tremendous hope in knowing you will have all of eternity to know her and be with her. She will really love you then, Diane. You'll know peace and joy and security in your relationship with her. Unquote. Diane writes, I cannot describe the overwhelming peace in my heart that I obeyed God and made every effort in my relationship with mom. The happy ending to all this is that not only did my mom and I reconcile and enjoy a new depth of love for each other, but mom also gave her life to Christ three weeks before she died. I feel in my heart that my mom's salvation was as great a gift to me as it was to her. Peace to you today.